Good morning, good morning. Y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Good time? Good weekend? I trust it was. Uh, how, uh, anybody that went out on Black Friday and stood in line, that kind of thing, anybody in that category? We have a very sane group of people here, I can tell. Okay, good. I've never done that myself, but I've known some who have. Um, I have in my hand a family heirloom. Seriously, this is a family heirloom. My father passed away in 2009, and I made sure I got this when, uh, uh, with my sisters. I have three sisters. Uh, this is a Jack, of course, and my father's name is, is Jack. Uh, and so my dad was a salesman. He worked for IBM, and he would do training seminars for other salesmen for IBM, And what he would do is he would pass out these little jacks to all the salesmen, and he would give a little talk. And the gist of the jack, the significance of it, is that a jack is a unique uh, item, is that no matter what direction you look at it, from the top or from the bottom, from the side, it always is a positive, right? No matter what, you always see a positive sign. So my father would make the point, you know, when you're in sales, you need to be uh, no matter what circumstances may, you may encounter, you are always to be uh, positive. And so I think that rubbed off on me. My mother also was a very positive person. I never heard any negative words from her ever, hardly. Uh, so I grew up in a very affirming uh, family. When I heard the gospel in 1973, and uh, I heard this message that God saves us not because of what we do, but because of what Christ did. It's totally an act of grace on his part. You know what? I was predisposed to believe it. I did because I was brought up in such an affirming family, a very loving and positive family. And we all like that. We love to be affirmed. We like encouraging words. We like pleasant thoughts. You know, this is the time of year particularly. I've always loved Christmas time because it's a time of year when it just seems more positive, more encouraging. Well, also something about my father, he was also a disciplinarian. He, was a, he really saw what the world was like, and he wanted to make sure his son was ready for the world. And so he, you know, he reproved me. He brought some discipline in my life, to some degree at least, as every father tries to do. And, you know, he got me into scouts, and he got me into Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and all that sort of thing, and sports. Uh, I didn't quite reach the dream of being a major league pitcher, you know, for the Cleveland Indians. I didn't quite make that, and I didn't quite make Eagle Scout, but I think, you know, there were some good things that happened as a result of some of those efforts. Well, today we're going to look at another father, and uh, this is a spiritual father. It's the Apostle Paul, and in this book, which is Grow Moving to Maturity is the name of the series on 1 Corinthians. We see a spiritual father, as it were, of this, this Corinthian this church, and you see him being fatherly. And he says some hard things to the Corinthians. Main theme that I saw from this chapter, chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians is this, and this is the main point of my message, is this. If we want to grow, we must accept the hard truths. We must accept the hard truths. We can't just be, you know, just taking in the candy and the desserts of, uh, of the Scripture, but we must take in those things that are not always easy to hear. 
And that's what this chapter is about. In many, many ways, Paul is preparing the Corinthians for many other things that he's going to be talking about later on. We'll see in chapters 5 through 16. So in this chapter, he says, if we want to grow, this is my, my interpretation of what this chapter is about, we must accept hard truths. Now, this will help you as we go through this passage here this morning. Number one, as we go through these hard truths, I'm going to talk about three of them. First of all, I want to ask you this. Is this a hard truth for you to accept, and are you actually receiving it in your own heart? That's the first thing I want to ask you. I want you to think about this. This will make this a very practical message for you. Have you really taken this truth, this hard truth, and received it for yourself? And here's the second question to ask you. Do you share it with others? That's a really big question. If I could just take a, an audio tape of your life over the last week or the last month, how much have these truths been shared from your lips with others? Because I think that's really a, that's a good test. It's something I've been asking myself, okay? All right, well, put your seatbelt on. We're going to look at three hard truths that the Apostle Paul covers with the Corinthians in chapter 4. Here's the first one, hard truth. There will be a future judgment of God. There will be a future judgment of God. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And by the way, you can follow on the screen or you can follow on the Bibles in front of you. It's on page 953. This is what Paul says. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In the context, what's this all about? Well, what was going on was the Corinthians, they were in this competition. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and they were competing they were taking sides as far as which of these great leaders, you know, that they favor. And in that context, Paul was being evaluated, you know, just how good he was doing, I guess. And so Paul's addressing this, and he just inserts at this point, this, he says, look, uh, don't be judging right now. And he just brings to their awareness this truth that there's going to be a day when Jesus Christ will come again, and he's going to judge the whole world. It's at that point that's when the real judgment's going to occur. And I wanted to mention something very personal that's gone on in my life over the last year and a half in particular. It was uh, back in summer of 2014. I took some time, uh, concentrated time that summer. It was a very busy ministry year. The first part of the year is more busy for me, and so the summer tends to be a little bit more relaxed. And so I just took some time. I called it, for me, my 100 days of prayer. It began with my birthday and ended in uh, in September, and I said, I just wanted to take some time to, uh, to really seek the Lord. Lord, what do you want for my life here? I was 62 at the time. I'm 63 today. And I wanted to know, Lord, what do you want direction for me and the ministry I was doing and this sort of thing? And it was during that time that God put on my heart how important this topic was in the Bible, how important this issue was of the judgment of God. I don't know why uh, he put it on my heart at that point. Maybe it was the fact that I was, 
I'm 62. I'm a little closer to that day when I'm going to be seeing God face to face. I'm just more conscious of it. That may be one reason. I think another thing that affected me was it just is apparent to me that in our society there's not that much of a consciousness of this. This is not a message that is talked about that much. I think we live in a society which says, you know, do not judge. You know, didn't Jesus say that? Do not judge lest you be judged. He certainly did say that. But it's interesting how much Paul and Peter and Jesus himself talked about a day when there would be judgment. In fact, in this passage, Paul's saying, don't judge now. You wait, because there will be a day. Have you thought about this much? Have you thought about this truth that there's going to be a day, we will die, we're going to be with Jesus Christ, it's appointed for all men to die, and after this comes judgment, we're going to stand before a holy God on that day. That's something to think about. I mean, really think about that. There's going to be this day, I'm going to be looking in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Think about that. The one who died who rose again on our behalf, we will see him in all of his splendor and all of his glory. It causes us to fear him when we take that moment and we pause. And I think that's what Paul was doing with the Corinthians. They, you know, if you're really going to be mature, you must br- he, he brings this in. He's looking to mature these believers. He wants them to be aware of this truth. Now, we understand that as believers in Jesus Christ, we will not come to judgment in the sense of being condemned for our sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because of what Christ did on the cross for us, we are totally freed of all our sins. We know for sure, too, that he who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 3, 36. This is a truth. All the people in this world, if they do not have faith in Jesus Christ, they are under the judgment of God. That is true. That's a hard, hard truth. And we also know for ourselves that even though we are people who will, we will not be punished for our sins, Christ took the punishment for us, Yet, we also understand we have lives to live. And we have lives. We can give our lives to that which will really matter, or we can give our lives to things that will be burned up. In the previous chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which I think is probably the best chapter that deals with this issue, Paul talks about how we can build with our lives with gold, silver, precious stones, or we can build with wood, hay, or stubble. And that if we build with wood, hay, or stubble, it'll all be burned up. We ourselves will be saved, it says. But uh, we will suffer loss. On the other hand, if we build with gold, silver, precious stones, there will be receive a reward. And, and so I, I know even for believers, there's going to be a day when we'll see Christ and he'll, he'll talk to us on that day. It's, a, it's something to really think about. And that's what Paul does at this point. He, he brings this to their consciousness. He does. The uh, great evangelist Billy Graham has had a marvelous ministry for, I don't know how many years, has it been 60 years or more? And you know something about Billy Graham, you ever thought about this? He really never had any scandal. You know, there's never been some moral failure. There's never been some big financial scandal of any sort. And he was asked one time, why is that? And he said the reason that's affected him most is he realizes 
there's going to be a day when he sees Jesus Christ face to face. That's, that's what affected him most. He understood that he would give an account to God someday for his life. And he had that on his mind, you know, I'm sure just all the time. He was so conscious of that. He's been so conscious of that. And so I have decided, I know for me, just to be more conscious of that myself personally, and also this, to talk about it with others. And I'd like to give you a little challenge for your uh, personal Bible study. I'd like you to, when you go through the Scripture, I want you to just uh, maybe just note all the times that Jesus or Paul or Peter bring up this fact that there will be a day of judgment. It's just amazing how often it's brought up. In fact, I was, I was hard-pressed to find a letter in the New Testament where it wasn't brought up at some point. And it made me think about this. I probably, probably wouldn't hurt for me to bring it up every time I talk, you know, in a message like this. And uh, maybe just even inserting it at a point in the, in the process of the talk, which Paul does here. It's not a major thrust of his message here in 1 Corinthians 4, but he inserts it. Because I think in order to really mature, we must be conscious. We must have a, a fear of God, a reverence for God, if we're really going to mature. This is a hard truth. This is a hard truth that Paul gives. Let me go over a second hard truth that Paul gives here in 1 Corinthians 4. Second hard truth is this. Trials and suffering are normal in the Christian life. Trials and suffering are normal, at least for the Christian who is really seeking to be mature in Christ. Here's what he says in verse 6 through 13. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. By the way, I think that phrase puffed up is a key one here because I think what Paul is wanting to do in this passage is he doesn't want them to be proud. He doesn't want them to be puffed up. He wants them to be humble. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And then Paul really gets into action here, this next passage. Already you have all you want, talking to these Corinthians, these immature Corinthians. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. I think his point is that there's going to be a day when we will rule with Christ. It's going to be a time without any sorrow or suffering. And Paul saying, boy, I wish that was that day now. Would that we, we would share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. You are wise in Christ. We are weak. You are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. There's a tendency, I think we all want honor. We like to be affirmed by people. I appreciate what C.T. Studd, a great missionary, said when he was asked, you know, you don't have any degrees by your name, you know, and he says, well, the a damaged reputation is the best degree for service to Christ, is what he said. That's what Paul had. He was in disrepute. To the present hour, we are hungry, we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. 
when slandered we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I wanted to read to you, this is from The Message. It's a little different translation, somewhat poetic liberty taken with this. Uh, Eugene Peterson, about in this little passage, let me read what he says. It seems to me that God has put us who bear his image on stage in the theater in which no one wants to buy a ticket. We're something everyone stands around and stares at, like an accident in the street. We're the Messiah's misfits. You might be sure of yourselves, but we live in the midst of frailties and uncertainties. You might be well thought of by others, but we're mostly kicked around. Much of the time, we don't have enough to eat. We wear patched and threadbare clothes. We get doors slammed in our faces, and we pick up odd jobs anywhere we can, anywhere we can to eke out a living. When they call us names, we say, God bless you. When they spread rumors about us, we put in a good word for them. We're treated like garbage, potato peelings from the culture's kitchen, <laughs> and it's not getting any better, what he says. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read a passage like that, I say, oh, boy, I just want to go and, uh, you know, let me think about something pleasant right now. Is there a movie I can watch right now that's kind of encouraging, you know? It's very hard. And when I look at the Apostle Paul's life, I just think, I, um, and I look at what he experienced. I look at what Jesus experienced. I look at so many brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world have experienced who, I mean, they have experienced this no food, being mistreated. You know, I feel like I've experienced that maybe just a little bit, a little bit of that, a little bit of, you know, persecution, a little bit of rejection, a little bit of this comparatively to my shame, I would say. And I think we all maybe experience that to some degree. We find this, and, and it's, it's hard to, to read. It's hard to read. And I think what Paul is doing here is I think he's just wanting us to understand that if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, if we're really going to follow him, that it's going to mean suffering. That's the way it is. It just comes with the territory. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. It's going to be tough. And Paul, in his love for the Corinthians, is wanting to prepare them. Uh, I, heard a, I talked to a pastor a month or two ago, and he was talking about this issue of growing and uh, really wanting people in the church to grow. And I was asking him, what do they do there in the church? He says, well, they really focus on four things mainly. He said four things. Number one, they feel like in order for a person to grow, they must change their view of God. Their narrative must change. And they, so they really work with people in this area of just helping understand who God really is and, and the nature of God and how he is a God of grace. He's also a God of holiness, but he's a God of grace and God of love. Second of all, they work with people as their disciplines. They're just learning how to discipline themselves for the purpose of godliness and, and develop a, you know, walking with God and reading the Word. Third thing he said was the community, building people in community, having friends who really follow Christ. And, I, and those all made a lot of sense to me. It was the fourth one that I, stuck out to me. He said there's a fourth thing we work on, is we really help people understand the purpose of trials. I thought that was really, really good. We help people understand how you respond to trial. You know, how you respond to difficult circumstances because you will encounter them. I mean, you'll encounter them just by being a human. You're going to encounter them. But particularly when you follow Christ, you really experience it. You really do. And, you know, someone said, you know, trials either make you bitter or they make you better. 
And I think that if you're really going to mature in Christ, this is Paul's getting at, it's going to mean really grappling with this matter of trials. I think the Corinthians were looking for a much more comfortable life. They had this illusion, you know, that heaven was now. In fact, later on in the book, in 1 Corinthians 15, will be covered there. They didn't even know that there was going to be a resurrection. They didn't think about, oh, yeah, there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. I mean, they were so focused on the here and now. They were. And they lost sight of this truth that this right now, like Paul says in Corinthians, if we hope in Christ in this life, we are of all men most to be pitied. This is not heaven right now. We experience heavenly things now. We experience heaven on earth in so many wonderful ways, but this is not heaven now. There will be a day when there will be no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, but that's not now. It's not yet. And Paul was looking to prepare them. I had a real special moment here a month ago. I was on the phone with a number of men in our association, Great Commission Church Association, who work overseas. These are missionaries, and we had a, an hour discussion on this topic, actually similar topic of maturity. How do you see disciples grow and follow Christ, and what do you do to help them? And uh, one of the individuals on the phone was Mike Cater, who was so critical in helping see this church get started back in 1973. And Mike had it real clear in his mind. He's working right now in Nepal and in India, uh, Cultures, of course, that are not Christian cultures at all, uh, and in many ways hostile to Christianity. And it was very clear in his mind, he had, something, he had seven things that he would do with anybody who became a, a new follower of Christ, and a n- number of things like you know, helping them have assurance of their salvation, putting their trust not in their efforts, but realizing it's just because of what God's done for us, and just trusting in his promise, his promise of eternal life. That was a big, big one. Another big one was baptism. Uh, helping a person get, you know, just come to that point where they take that first step of obedience. But the one that struck me, this was the second thing that he, he mentioned. You know the second thing he mentioned for people who came to Christ? He said, he tells them right away, you are going to be opposed. First thing. I thought, that, that, kinda, that really affected me. That's one of the first things he talked to them about, that you're going to be opposed, that you're going to go through trials and suffering. Why? Why? I think the words of John Mott, who's a great mission leader in the uh, early 20th century, I think his words really are good. He said this. He said, make the gospel difficult and you make it triumphant. I love those words. Make the gospel difficult and you make it triumphant. Christ did not hide his scars, is what he said. Make the gospel difficult, and you make it triumphant. And I think for Mike, I think what he's wanting to do is to see triumphant, mature believers in Jesus Christ. They're hard words, but they're good words. They really are. Let me go on to the third hard words that that Paul gives here. Main truth that I see in this passage, and it's this one. God wants doers, not just talkers. (laughs) God wants doers, not just talkers. Here's what he says in verses 14 through 21. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. 
That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. These are tough words. For the kingdom of God is not in consistent talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? I see this man who really wants his spiritual children to walk in obedience. He uses a phrase here that I don't think I use much, but he says this. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. He just talked about what his life was like. You know, when slandered, I give a blessing, you know. You know, uh, you know he, he just talks about his, how he is a, a man who's, who's living out the life of Christ. And then he has the boldness to say, now you follow me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And not only that, I'm sending Timothy to you. Why? He could remind you of my ways in Christ, his ways, the way he lived his life. That's what he was wanting them to live by, by these ways. There's a certain conduct. There's a certain practice. There's an obedience. And he was concerned about these people that were influencing the Corinthian church, some that were talkers, but he, he didn't want them to be influenced by that, like a father wanting to protect his children from being naive. You have a lot of empty talkers, he says often in the epistles. In, in First and Second Timothy, he talks about that. You know, we don't want just talkers. We want people who are really doers of the word and, and want to see people who really have power. They don't, just, they don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. I'll tell you a little bit about my history. I grew up in a very non-active culture. I grew up in the TV culture, TV land of the 1950s, you know. Uh, you know, I was really, really good at watching TV. I mean, I'm, I, was, I, I got an A in TV watching. And I went to college, and of course, I think our academic culture tends to emphasize knowledge, and just knowledge, not so much implementation, but more just knowing it. It emphasizes a lot of just, you know, seeing and watching and, you know, and, and talking but not so much the doing. Well, I got involved in this particular church. I mentioned Mike Cater's name. And uh, Mike, he brought in what I would call blue-collar Christianity, is what I call it. Uh, Mike is a doer. Mike was a guy that would just go out and do it. He would share his faith. He would take the Bible, and he'd read it, and he'd obey it. And he was just that kind of a guy. And I'll tell you, it just kind of shocked me, you know, seeing this kind of Christianity. And I was inspired by it. I was truly inspired by it. And it was not really me. And I said, but you know what? I'm going to take some steps in this direction. You know, I was a little slow at first. I kind of put my toe in the water little by little. And I I wasn't a jumper into the water. I was a little bit more cautious. But I started taking steps in that direction. And over the years, you know, I've taken more steps. Man, i got a long way to go, as all of us do. But this is where you grow. It's not by knowing. It's not by talking. It's by doing. James says, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who, and this is scary, who delude themselves. It's so easy to think knowledge means maturity, and it really, really does not. We have this conference called Faith Walkers. Uh, You're all welcome to come. I'd love you all to come to this conference this next uh, December. And the very first conference we had, I remember 
Brent Knox, who's a pastor in Minneapolis, he gave one of the messages, and again, the title of the conference was Faith Walkers, Walking by Faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. It's not faith talkers, but faith walkers. And Brent said something that really affected me at the time. He said, you know, we want to go from being faith watchers to faith walkers. It's so easy to watch other people stepping out and, you know, and, and obeying God and walking with God. I don't want to be a faith watcher, but a faith walker. And I think that's what Paul's goal was here, to be people who are really stepping out in faith and doing it. These are hard words. <laughs> These are hard words. I don't know what the Corinthians' reaction to this was. I mean, I, think, I mean, they just got hit by two by four in many ways. The judgment of God. Christian life is a life of suffering, you know. There's suffering in the Christian life. We're to be not just kind of hearing about all these wonderful, beautiful, heavenly things, but we're actually taking the Word of God and put it into practice, being doers of the Word. I don't know what your reaction is to this as I'm sharing this. I don't know what it was like for you. You, know, you, just, you might be thinking, boy, we, I just had a wonderful three or four days. I mean, I had great turkey. You know, we had pumpkin pie. Uh, you know, I bought some Christmas presents. Watched the Buckeyes yesterday. They won. Man, this has been a great, great weekend. And now I hear this guy on Sunday morning here. Man, I'm depressed right now. I'm feeling bad about myself. This, I don't fit this. This is not my life. Well, if you feel that way, let me say something, hopefully, that will help you. Notice what Paul says in verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. That's not why he did it. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Why did he write it? He says it. To admonish you. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. How? As my beloved children. As my beloved children. No one I know of, except for Jesus Christ himself, who walked on this earth, loved people like the Apostle Paul. In fact, this book is famous for the love chapter, chapter 13. He ends the the book of Corinthians with these words, Let all that you do be done in love. I think everything he did was out of love. Everything he did, out of genuine concern for these Corinthians, he loved them so much. They were his beloved children in the Lord. He loved them. And what he wanted to do, he didn't want them to be naive. He wanted to get them stronger. He wanted to warn them, look, there is going to be a day you stand before Jesus Christ. I'm letting you in on it now. (laughs) Uh, Be ready for it. It's going to happen I know this world says something different to you. I want you to know this. I'm warning you. Realize that there's going to be trials. People are going to, they're going to treat you negatively just like they've treated me bad because you're a follower of Christ. I want to warn you. And I want to warn you that there's going to be some here that are going to try to get you just to be kind of a, a, a Christian who doesn't really exercise their faith, but they're not really putting their, their faith into practice. I'm warning you. He was strengthening them. He wanted them to grow up and to be mature. I just have one other observation from this passage, and it's the very last verse. I was impressed by this and reading through it this last week. He ends by saying this, What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love 
in a spirit of gentleness. Now, I think the rod is loving. That's what he was somewhat using in this verse, these verses. But how shall I come to you? And it made me think about this, how, you know, God will make sure in all of our lives that we grow up. That's what I think. I think God is involved in all of our lives to make us grow up. And, and God will not be mocked, you know. What a man sows, this he shall also reap. There, you cannot get out of it. There's going to be a day we stand before God. He, we, we won't get out of it. And what God wants is discipline. He wants us to be disciplined, to be following him, to be living lives that are honoring him all the time. There's two ways in which discipline can be brought to an individual. One way is externally, and that's what parents do. They bring external discipline on the immature, on children. That's what they do. That's what Paul was doing here. He was bringing some discipline upon them. And, and that's one way that happens. But there's another way, and it's for those who are not immature, but those who are mature, and that is a self-discipline. That people who are saying to themselves, who are taking the initiative themselves, for example, you know, I wake up today like Billy Graham did, has done, and says, you know what? I stand before God. I know I'm going to stand before God someday. I'm bringing that to my own mind. I'm not having someone remind me of that over and over again. I'm bringing it to my own consciousness every day. I, I, I'm reminding myself of that. Or when the trials come, certainly we need one another. Certainly we need encouragement. I, I affirm that strongly. But there is this, this mature self-startedness where I say, I, I'm going to make a decision on my own to put my trust in God, and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. And I'm going to take up my cross and follow him all the days of my life. And, and I realize that there's people that are maybe trying to tempt me into just to be a passive Christian, but I have decided to follow Jesus, and I've decided I'm going to take what the Bible, Bible has to say, and I'm going to put it into action. I'm going to obey it. This is what I think Paul wanted. I think this is what God wants for all of us, is that we are people who obey the Word of God on our own, on our own initiative, and then we truly, truly are mature. And I'd like to give you just one practical action step. I always like to give a practical action step when I, me- when I give my messages. Last Sunday, Rich shared uh, about how important it was just to have this one little habit in your life, and that is the habit of just daily, daily just reading the Word, reading the Word, just be exposed to the Word of God. It may only be five minutes. It may be 15. It may be a half hour, whatever it is, but I'm just going to crack open that Bible and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to read it to obey it. And you get that habit in your life. I can tell you now that the people that I know that are, that are really mature and grow in Christ, they have that as a habit. They do. If you do not have that as a habit, I think the greatest gift that you can give to yourself, to your family, to your friends, and to Jesus Christ is to begin that habit. Get that habit down in your life. And when you do, you will be reminded about the judgment of God. You will be reminded about the purpose of trials, and you will be reminded of the importance of obedience to the Word of God. It'll just, it'll just come to you. You'll allow God to speak to you day in, day out. And as we do that, we will have lives that are really, really honoring to God, and we will truly grow, and we truly will move to maturity. Let's just close in prayer. I'll have the band come up here for a closing few songs. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we uh, thank you for 
our brother, the Apostle Paul, and thank you that he did not shrink from declaring to them anything that was profitable to the Corinthians, but he spoke tough words, hard words, but good words. I know that his heart was to see them grow and mature in Christ, and I I just ask for all of us here today as we look to you as the God of all comfort, the God of all strength, and the God of all grace, that, Lord, we would not just focus on those pleasant things in the Bible, but we would focus on those things that maybe in our flesh we don't really, uh, we might shrink back from, and that we would accept those, and not only accept those, but we would teach them to others. Father, I pray you'd help us move on to maturity more and more. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.